Hello, everybody, and welcome to Joyfully You Podcast. I am your host, Kelsey Lowe, and today we have a special guest with us. We have Paul Myers. Paul Myers is an editor, writer, and podcaster with the Sun Gazette in Central California. He's been doing that since 2014. He's from Exeter, California, and has mentioned that that can sometimes be a double-edged sword. He loves the familiarity of home, but mentions it could be a fishbowl way of life. So he has a passion for public service and a degree in public administration prior to pursuing his career in journalism. Paul, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. This is fantastic. Yeah, I'm so excited. I'm I'm excited. I know we've been kind of talking about this and throwing this idea back and forth about doing it. And here we are. I know. It's only taken a year and a (laughs) pandemic in between. So it's about time. (laughs) Definitely. And this is cool because this is the first time interviewing someone that's a writer, you know, being in the world of journalism and being, you know, as a writer, like, how did that start? Is that something you've always wanted to do? Or is that something that a spark, you know, started later on? Like, tell us about how you got into doing that. Oh, my God. So like how like I could go real far back. I'll go real far back. The first time that I wanted, I actually realized that I had a talent for writing was whenever I was at uh, COS, which you're familiar with for anybody, College of the Sequoias in Visalia. And I originally thought like coming out of high school, I was like, if I want to do something important, I need to do something in like science. Like, cause I always, cause I liked science, but I also wasn't very good at it. And that was part of the problem. And then I was taking, and it's funny, I was taking a remedial writing course in at COS in my like first year there because I just I was one of those kids like fell like through the cracks like I kind of I could just kind of like maneuver my way around to like good grades and but like whenever you get to a particular like level of education like you can't do that anymore you actually have to know what you're talking about and so I was pretty I was exposed pretty quickly and but this was and this is probably why I got away with it for so long I was pretty good at telling a story Like I was pretty good at deciding like what it is that makes a story good, what to leave in, what to leave out, like that kind of stuff. And so I was like 18 and I was at COS and I was in this course and there was my professor there. Her name was um, Miss Moday, or I think it was like Claudia Moday. And she was, she was fantastic. She was a little bit of like a goofball, but like she was like her and I like were, were like kindred spirits in that way. Like I, I found it so funny that like her and I connected really well, but like her and the rest of the class didn't get along at all. And at the end of that semester, and I kid you not, at the end of the semester, the class that started with 30 people ended up the last two weeks with just me showing up. Like it was just me and just her. And we were just like, you know, bullshitting back and forth about like assignments or whatever. And but anyways, like that first assignment, and I can't remember what it was. I really can't. But uh, I got like a really good grade on it. I got like an A. And but like w- with like critiques, like it wasn't it wasn't perfect. It was just like a hey, like you know how to tell a story, and that says a lot. Now, if you want to, now if you want to tell a story that now people can like read and like read with ease, like you need to learn these few things. And so I, and so that was kind of like where. I started to think like, oh, I, I, I really like doing this because I like doing things that I felt that I was pretty good at. And I like the idea of like having like having like your computer set up 
like in front of you and like your laptop and like the feel of like the keys on your hands and like the sound of the keys as, as you like start typing. And then like the, like the, the rush of key sounds as like you are like really like on a roll. And it's so funny because around here in the office, you can tell whenever somebody's like writing really quickly and like knows what they're doing. Cause it's just clickety clack, like all it is. And then you can tell whenever they get to like a hard part in the story, cause it goes clickety clack to Click, 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 click. <laughs> that's super fun. Like normally that's whenever we have to like type in numbers or something because we're not very good at like the top row of numbers. But that was the first time, I think that was the first time that I said like, oh, I, I enjoy telling stories. This is fun for me. Oh, that's so cool. Uh, and so cool that you had that kindred relationship with that teacher too, because the the mentors and the people that introduce us to things it can be a make it or break it kind of a thing, right? Where someone can help us fall in love with the subject or a topic or, you know, for you, it being writing and journaling and being able to tell a story. Yeah, because mm-hmm. storytelling, that's a craft. It it's is. It's an art form. Mm-hmm. That's the, so it, it's so funny too, because in journalism, you're, I mean, the way that we write, because we're, we're lucky enough to be like an independently owned newspaper. So it's not like the daily grind. Like we come out once a week, you know, we, we have like our own type of like workflow. And then the stories that we write are much more storytelling, like because most of the time we're going to be reporting on something that you've heard already, but perhaps you didn't hear it from this angle. And perhaps you didn't just like, perhaps, you know, we want to write something that you want to read, that you want to open up and then continue down like line after line after line. Whereas if if I was like working for like a daily newspaper, it's just like, you know, here's the lead or, you know, in in writer terms, like the hook. And then like, this is what the story is about. And then facts, 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 done. And so it's like, it's, it's kind of like takes the fun out of, out of the writing process. So that's why I really like working where I'm working because there's a narrative and there is a, oh, this is important. And then this happened and then this happened. And uh, there was a really good phrase that I heard recently of, uh, I think it was like Aaron Sorkin. And if you don't know who Aaron Sorkin is, he's like a screen, he's a Hollywood screenplay writer. And he's done all kinds of stuff, probably plenty of movies that you've seen, I'm sure. And he said, like, you don't really have an idea until you get to the point where you say, uh, then this, but. Like, this happened, but. And like where there's like that conflict and that there's like that change. And so whenever we write stories for like the newspaper, you know, oftentimes like truth is better than fiction around here if you tell it right. And so, like, I always try to think in terms of, like, what narrative and where, like, the conflict is and how to, how to put the story together in a way that, like, a reader who knows, who knows what's going to happen still wants to read it. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. Did you, like, have a personal writing, like, journaling before becoming a writer? Like, was that something that was a part of your practice or has it become your practice because of writing? I think that it's become my practice because of writing. Like I, cause so many times in the day, like I'm writing something that I'm reacting to something. Like I'm writing something that like I saw, but I didn't write something that I'm feeling. So like journaling for me is like a really important part of the writing process overall, like overall, because I think like most people, I'm probably like most people, it's hard for me to put my feelings and emotions like into words. Like that's not uncommon. But if you spend some time like in those feelings 
and then you journal out, you know, this is why, this is what I feel and this is why I feel it. And, you know, try to like really get into like the adjectives of describing your feelings. That'll make you a better writer overall, because you can then start putting those words into like other people's like emotions. Like whenever you start talking with somebody, like you know how they're feeling because you attach the language to it. So like, you know, my journaling process, which actually I, I've, I need to like pick it back up. Like I used to do it once a week because I tried to do it every day. And then I was like, all right, I just don't have that many feelings at the end of the day. Like I have a lot of feelings, but not every day, nothing that's that noteworthy. So like I, so now I try to journal like once a week on uh, like, like on Saturday mornings, it's like a really good time. Like it's quiet. I really don't have that much to do. And it also like gives me a chance to like think about like the entire week. And then decide like what is worth writing about. Like a lot of things happen in the week, but not all of it's noteworthy. And uh, you know, and, and there's times when it's just like half a page of like an entry, and it's all. And I do it by hand, so, like I don't type it out. Um, that's important too. I think there's like a really visceral, like feel, a tangible feeling, you know, to like the pen and like the paper. And uh, but like sometimes it's like half a page. Sometimes it's like five pages. And like, I'm hitting on like seven different things. There's like, all of this was important. All of this has to go down. And, uh, and then sometimes I go back and I read like, like a year ago, like at this point, like, what did I feel? What was the time frame? Like, what was, what was going on in the world? And I try to think like, I'm not just writing for me. I feel like I'm writing also for like, if someone was to like pick this up, would they know what it was that I was feeling? Or would they just like know what was going on? So I try to like write in a very, I try to journal in like a very deliberate, a very deliberate way. So that way, you know, if my grandkids pick this up, they're like, oh, this is, this is an interesting life. Like this guy had mm. feelings, this guy had emotions. Yeah. Was it, has there ever been fear around honestly writing because of people reading it later? Cause that's what I've heard from people before. And oh. I've experienced that too, where I was like, where I realized I was writing performatively I wasn't being like transparent with myself out of fear of the possibility someone might read it. Um, I remember that was kind of a, kind of a block for me when I first started journaling as like a self-practice. Cause I was yeah. so used to having, yeah, I was so used to writing for a grade, writing for something that, that and I very much like had this productivity mindset of like, well, what's the purpose, but what's it all for, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so it's like learning how to journal just for the, purpose of recording my emotions because they matter mm -hmm. I think that was the big hump for me it's like well it matters why because it because I matter you know mm -hmm. instead of needing a big purpose but I definitely had fear around oh my god if someone picks this up they're gonna think I'm crazy and now I'm like that's right I'm crazy and I love it like I have, <laughs> my emotionality is very in depth I'm just right. curious if you uh, ever felt that kind of guess you know it's funny I mean like when it's because in my mind, I think like, all right, I mean, there, I have like a handful of journals that I've, that I've filled up. They're like sitting on a bookshelf or like in a drawer somewhere. And every time that I think about somebody coming by and like picking it up in my mind, I'm never alive for it. <laughs> like I always just like imagine like it's like dusty and somebody's like going through like all my shit at the end of the day. Can I curse on the podcast? I don't mean to. Yeah, like, definitely. You know, okay. Yeah. So like, let it fly. <laughs> Like, I just, I imagine, like, 
there's like my grandkids or like great grandkids. I probably won't live that long. Probably my grandkids. And they're just, and, and they're like trying to figure out like what to do with this stuff. And that's the way that I think about whenever somebody's going to read my journal. Like I really would feel uncomfortable if somebody read it while I was like still alive. Like I wouldn't want like even like even my wife to be here very soon. So my fiance now, uh, she like if she was like to read this, I'd be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like there are like I, you know, these are the things that go on in my head. And then I I filter out what actually what actually goes out. So I don't really want to like I don't want to be that unfiltered uh, until like posthumously whenever whenever there's nothing I could do about it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I totally get that because the idea of my grandchildren reading it and me being gone, I'm like, yeah, for sure. Get into my Mm -hmm. head. I don't care. Like, I don't care if it's, I'm already gone, but yeah. Now I don't have that fear of people reading it because it's more so I know that the people in my life wouldn't violate my space by opening my journal and reading Mm -hmm. it. You know, it's Mm -hmm. kind of interesting, like breaking down the, well, what's the, like logically looking at the fear, so to speak. Yeah. Um, there's something that you mentioned that I that I loved when you were talking about um, writing down your emotions and really getting into the adjectives of it and really like describing it. That's actually one of the first things with emotional intelligence is how well we can describe our emotions correlates to how in touch we are with how we're, what we're actually feeling. But it's so cool how you made that connection to um, you know your ability to empathize with the people you write about correlating with how well you can write and empathize with yourself in those mo- right. in those in those moments that is so cool well like i it, it's funny because like i uh somewhat recently i suppose like so I, I decided to seek out um counseling or like therapy uh not as like a because i feel like there's something wrong with me per se but i'm just like i it's so funny how much i know about things like just by living life right like you know you know a lot of you know a little about like a lot of things but like how little I actually know what's going on in this space here. And what turned me on to the idea was one, a friend who uh, I, I know I've got to know really well, but him and I grew up in the same town. Like he's a few years older than I am, went to the same high school, whatever. And it was a couple of years ago. And he told me just like straight up, he's just like, well, yeah, you know, I learned through therapy. Like, like it was just like a natural, like roll off the tongue. And I was like, whoa, bro. Like that's a, that's a, that's an intense, like, I don't need to know that. And he was just like really open about it. And he was like describing it. And he was saying just like, well, you know, it's, it's a workout for your mind. He's like, it's like, you work out your body, you eat, right? Like it's the very same thing. And like, and, and then I thought like, it tells me so much more about me, how uncomfortable I was by him revealing something that should be really commonplace. And, and so like that made me, that kind of like gave me the confidence to be like, okay, if, if this guy is, is going to like a therapist to learn about himself, like, and I think he's really cool. Like why, why, like, am I better than that? Like, no, I don't think so. But I was also reading a lot of like research at the time about, um, cause I've always been fascinated by like, like the like essentially just like the brain as just like an organic piece of like machinery, right? Like you, like there's things that we know about the brain, right? Like you can, you can stick electrodes in a portion of it and then it, something happens or you can like change your hormone levels and then something happens. 
but like we don't know anything about like why we think we don't know anything about like why we have this like internal dialogue going on in our skulls that's like own little world that we have just because and so like it's such a mystery like it's such a mystery like you like there's there's if you opened up the brain you wouldn't find the mind it's not there it's it's not there like there's no physical piece to it and so i thought and i was like i never really thought about it that way so i was like this is this is really interesting and i was like I, and but it's just something that spontaneously happens and there's no real reason for it so i was like i i think i really have to like research this more and then i was thinking about it, i was like how much do i know about my own mind and i started thinking a little bit more about like meditation and like sitting like with your emotions and you know there was a writer that i was that i was reading and he was saying how you can just like sit in a quiet room you know with it with just your thoughts eyes closed and it's just like try to not have a thought try like seriously just as like an exercise try to not think of something like you'll like you'll go what 30 seconds before just something randomly comes into like your mind right mm-hmm. and so like we so we like always like to think of ourselves as like the thinker of our thoughts like the author of our thoughts but you're not like you're not even you're not even the guy at the gate like you're not like thoughts are just <laughs> occurring like you're not the ceo of your own mind and so that's what's kind of like when i decided i was just like okay well like therapy as a personal growth uh, exercises is something that I, I not only felt like would be helpful, I feel like I needed. And that has been super helpful in finding out what I feel and how to put emotion to it and how to put words to the emotions and then realizing what's, what, what are primary emotions versus like secondary emotions. Like when you get angry, that's a secondary emotion. You're just angry. There's something that occurred for that anger to happen that is just beneath the surface that you need to reveal. And like, and it's hard, it's hard to come up with that. It's hard to figure that out. What that's, what those things are. Like, I still haven't met somebody who doesn't need therapy, like still mm-hmm. to this day. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's the, it, I love how you were saying, like, we don't, we aren't even the gatekeepers, like the idea of meditation. And that's why I really don't like when people are like, oh, well, meditation, you know, just stop your thoughts, clear your mind. I'm like, Bam! clear my mind like (laughs) yoga was invented to make meditation easier like that's why people do yoga is just so meditation's easier because they're they've they've been able it's easier to calm the mind I don't want to say silence the mind or clear the mind but calm I call it the chatter where it's like Mm -hmm. sometimes we can have like ding 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 like all these different voices thoughts ideas things we don't want to forget start rushing into us Um, but it's like the subconscious mind. That's the part that really fascinates me is like the whole thing. Like, for example, if I'm like, oh, I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to work out because I know that that will make me stronger, healthier, you know, lose weight, whatever else, you know, those motivations are, but the subconscious mind, whatever those beliefs are, what actually are what running us, you know, where it's like, oh, but it's hard. And sweating sucks and all these like (laughs) things that we aren't consciously thinking, but our subconscious is controlling. And Mm -hmm. that 
is what fascinates me so much. Like I am so, I am all for therapy. I'm all for having um, different people to help us. I view it like a mirror, like someone holding up a mirror for us to see ourselves with more clarity than we would be able to see on our own, you know? Mm -hmm. And like the idea of getting to know ourselves on a deeper level I just find so fascinating because I get excited. Like the curiosity inside me is like, Oh, what do I not know that I, you know, we don't know what we don't know, essentially, you know, it's just kind of this unopened thing. And so that's so cool that you are, um, I love the story too, of how you came about, like how someone almost transferred the confidence over to you being like, what bro, not, it's not a big deal. Like, this is cool. Like it's a workout (laughs) for my mind. And it's like, oh yeah, because there has been so much stigma around it. You know, even like, Mm -hmm. even like nineties movies, I think nineties movies give us like, there's a lot of different references of like, oh, they need to see a shrink, you know, that Mm -hmm. whole idea of a shrink. And I think about the word, I don't know where it actually comes from, but I'm like, is there a craziness that they're trying to shrink to normalize someone? You know, if I just guess, like it's just negative connotations that um, I think the stigma is slowly maybe evaporating while more and more people are seeing the value in therapy. I mean, even like the world of industry of coaching that's boomed over the past 10 Mm -hmm. years, you know, because people are open and willing to receive guidance to get to know themselves better. And I think that's like something to be celebrated. It's, you know, and like in particular for men, like seeking out help has been stigmatized. I mean, like that's not just therapy. That's, that was every facet of life up until, up until really recently. And it's, I mean, because if you needed help, you were, you know, like you were a sissy, like you're a little bitch, you're a little this, you're a little that, like, like really vulgar terms that like, that, that you wouldn't want to be called that by your, and these are your friends and these are your family members. Like, these are the people calling you those things. And it's, and so like, you can see how men don't want to get help because like, how am I supposed to hide? Cause like now if I get help, then I got to hide it. And now it's shameful. And then, and then the more you hide it, the more shameful it becomes. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of like what my friend had kind of shown me is like, Oh, this doesn't have to be a shameful thing. And I had always thought of it as such. And not only, not only did I think of it as shameful, I thought of it as weak. Like that was the other thing. Like I, like in my mind before, like I kind of had this, I guess you would call it an epiphany, although I can't really, necessarily like super pinpoint the time before I had this like change of heart, I guess you could say, like, I was like, Oh, this is like, if you need to go see a therapist, like you're weak, if you need to, you know, these, the X, Y, and Z things. And and now that I just see like how ridiculous that was. And then I think too, because I've been thinking a lot about like free will and free will is a really interesting thing to me. And like, why is it that, why is it that I had the information about therapy and how good it was before. Like there's plenty of testimonials out there and it's a rather neutral thing. I was like, but why didn't I choose it before? Like I had the, I I had the freedom to do it. Why didn't I? And so like, I, you know, there's, there's some authors that I read. They're just like, well, free will is essentially a myth is what, is what they would argue. I don't know if I necessarily believe that, although they make a pretty convincing argument of it. It's I think the fact, I think it just wasn't a part of my environment before. Like there are so many things about life that you don't choose. Like in particular, like who, who you're born to, you know, what genetics you have, where you're born, like really the who, what, when, where, why's. Our name, the thing we're most identified by. (laughs) 
Like you don't choose any of that. That just, that just happens to you. So at, at random. And, you know, I mean, it's still true that if I was, you know, I was born in America, but if I was born in some sort of like impoverished rural area of Sudan, there's a pretty good chance I'm one of like a few kids that don't make it. Right. So like, we know that, we know that, you know, circumstances are not equal. So, you know, and those are the things that inform what you choose. So I don't know. And and that's kind of like where I'm at with it right now. It's just like, well, you know, there's a lot of things in in life that you don't choose that inform your decisions. So So how reliable is free will? Is it truly free? Um, or is it something that's just like a myth? Uh, mm. But I think about those things and I think about them in, in terms of like the choices that I, that I make and therapy was, therapy was one of them. I'm really glad that I made it. Mm, that's so cool. And so interesting too about the free will. Cause I think, I guess the way I kind of see it is part of our evolution as becoming our own person, like not just the daughter or the son, not Mm -hmm. just, you know, the student, not just the, like the things that we are first told we are. And then Mm -hmm. the idea of what we start to choose later on. I think some people don't reach that level of realizing they can choose things in their life throughout their entire life, which is, is unfortunate, you know, but there is like, I think different things that happen in our life that awaken this sense of, as you said, free will. And that's like, I call it like the empowerment journey, the self-love journey of learning how to choose what we like and why we like it. And not just choosing what we want because we think we should, or because Mm -hmm. it's our family dynamics, or because this is what we do. You know, people like us, you know, like the the different family cliches (laughs) of like, well, our family doesn't do that. Our family does this. Of learning how to be our own, like unique expression of ourselves. Um, and it pushes up against the social fears, especially doing something different that goes against the grain, which at one point therapy was going against the grain. Now it's becoming more um, uh, socially acceptable, you know, because I think about like the tribe, you know, that the, mm-hmm. the worst thing you can do for your survival is to go against the tribe because then you're alone, you know, of being rejected from the tribe is the worst thing that could ever happen. So it's almost ingrained in our DNA to Mm -hmm. not do anything that can cause any type of social rejection or social judgment, because we still have that feeling of we're going to die if it happens living inside of us, even though it's not true anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is why we always say that like, you know, homo sapiens are social creatures. I mean, like it's true because you're stronger with, you're stronger with the community than you are alone. And, you know, you, and, and it is ingrained in your DNA after over time. That's just, that that is, I mean, you got to consider our descendants live for millions of years in these small bands moving about, moving about the earth, and the only way they survived was because of a reliance on other people. And that was actually one of the things. So I so I started reading the book *Sapiens*, which if you haven't read it, it's fantastic. Uh, it's by the author's name is Yuval Noah Harari, and he speaks in he writes in very simple terms, which is, which is great. Like it's, they're complex topics, but you can like understand the concepts because they're, com- they're, they're spelled out in a way that, that anybody could just pick up and read it. And I think what hooked me onto that book, and this is what, 
this is this is where I think my fascination with like just social beings came from. And actually this ties back into writing in a weird way is that we weren't even the only humans on this earth at time. There's like nine different types of like homo, homo species, like homo sapiens just happened to win out. Like there's like Neanderthals were a form of human and there's like, I don't know, eight others. And like, so how did homo sapiens ter- like, terraform the earth how did homo sapiens eventually figure out how to how to dominate to the civilization that we have like today and the reason behind it is that we learn to work together much more efficiently than neanderthals ever did this episode of joyfully you podcast is sponsored by organifi green juice I have been drinking Organifi Green Juice for three and a half years. I was a major fangirl of this company, so much so that they finally started sponsoring my show. So the reason why I've chosen this product to share and to declare and to give a commercial about is because it is one of the biggest sources of my energy for my mental, emotional stability and my physical well-being. I rely on, on Organifi Green Juice. It's packed with 16 different superfoods and it's not like broccoli. It's like moringa, spirulina, chlorella, turmeric, these things that I normally would be taking in a capsule or a pill form. And the truth is I'm not going to eat all the vegetables in a day that I would like to in order to have the energy that I want. And so I drink it. Every single morning, I drink one scoop of Organifi green juice. I mix it in with water, and it tastes minty fresh. And so in the bio of the show notes, you can get a link to be able to buy yourself some Organifi green juice. And if you use the code K-L-O-W, K-L-O, you get 15% off. Enjoy. Now let's get back to the episode. And he traces it back to like a prefrontal, like cortex brain evolution that other, other humans on earth didn't, didn't develop. And uh, there's, and so like the, the reason why you can have this like global commerce system is because you have a reliability in the fact that somebody over there and, you know, Asia is, is going to send you toilet paper because that's where they manufacture toilet paper or whatever. And um, the, and what ties all of this together, what makes the civilization so huge is that we believe in fictions. We believe in things that aren't real and we make them a part of our social fabric. And like the biggest one is money, right? Like I was just about get, to say, I was like, like money. Yeah, like money. <laughs> you know, we could be like this is worth like I'm holding up a random thing. You can't see me, but like you can pick up something <laughs> random and say, I've decided this is worth ten thousand dollars. And yeah. I could find someone to buy it for ten thousand uh-huh. dollars. I mean, obviously it might be hard, but it's and just like that you created a market. So yeah. Cool. And it just comes out of our mind. It just com- it just comes out of our mind. And like if you hand it the way the way uh, uh Harari puts it, he's like, oh, he's like, imagine handing handing a five dollar bill or a hundred dollar bill over to over to an orangutan. Like he's going to look at it and he's going to be like, I can't clothe myself with it. I can't eat it. Like, what, what do I do with this? This is stupid. But if you hand him a banana, well, all of a sudden we have like, now we're talking, right? And, but like humans are, humans like, we just be like, oh no, this, this is worth a hundred dollars. And they're just like, and we all just accept that. 
Like we, like we all just were like, yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> like we, like this is like this is the thing that we all choose to like believe in, and a big part of that, and a reason why, is because humans have gotten really good into telling stories. Like we are the only species on Earth that leaves knowledge on paper for other people, for other member, other generations to to grow off of. Every other species on Earth, every other one has to rely on DNA. We rely on knowledge. It's it's fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating. It's so fascinating. And how that, like the manifestation of relying on knowledge, how do I say, birthed the internet. You know, we're in this, this uh, information era, as they say, that anything we want to learn, we can type into this little magical computer thing or these cell phones that we carry around, these little mini computers, yeah, and yeah. we can ask any question we want and we will get the answer immediately, which mm-hmm. I think is obviously absolutely incredible that we have information so accessible to us but it almost puts that precedent that other things need to be that accessible, you know, oh, yeah. where it's like, I, I saw a thing recently that said like, you stop trying to Amazon prime your, your health, you know, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> it takes time. It takes yeah. time. <laughs> you know, even like with career paths, you know, like becoming a good writer, becoming a good storyteller, you know, it, I think that we see a lot of things online about people having these overnight successes or seemingly overnight, yeah. right? Because we all yeah. of a sudden overnight have heard about them, but we mm-hmm. don't see the back end of the 10 plus years of writing or all, or the 10 plus years of work towards whatever that thing is. Yeah. Um, and so it's like that information age is so, it's so interesting. It is so and, interesting. And so in, in Sapiens, the, the book is, uh, broken up into three different like eras. There's, uh, I can't remember the specific names of them, but there was, you know, there was like the hunter gatherer era and then there was the agricultural era. And now we are in the scientific era. So that, Mm. so, and that's, which started 500 years ago, we'll say, where we begin to like look beyond, beyond our own capability, like what's on the ground and what's, you know, we start looking up like what's in the sky and how, Mm. and our place like in the universe and there's another book he writes called Homo Deus. And it ends in this really, I found it like troubling place because it's a look into like the future. Like what, is, what does the world look like in the year 3000? And what is our place in it? And like, how did we get there? And his argument, yeah, well, his argument is that we, we, now, we have now in the scientific era, moved on we've now pushed god off the stage so like whereas in the agricultural era which if you'll notice in the bible a lot of what occurs in the bible has to do with agriculture you pray for rain right because if you didn't have rain you wouldn't eat and so we so we as humans have essentially pushed god aside put ourselves into front into front and center and now that's moving on to a more data-driven way of looking at humanity. And you and you can see it with social media. So like social media knows, like there's a, they're not necessarily listening to you. I mean, they might be, but they don't need to listen to your convert to our conversation over your cell phone to know what you want. Because if you have particular settings set up on your phone, they watch what you scroll, they watch what you stop on, they watch what you click into location based location based stores you visit 
Yeah. And that's how they know to pitch you a product. That's how they know to pitch you this product. And that's how they know to pitch you this store or whatever the case may be. It's all data driven. Like it is just a computer tracking your movements. And, and when you're scrolling, it's not just like, it's an expression of what you like and what you don't like, especially with engagements. Like, you know, you add the like button or the heart, you know, button. Uh, and all of a sudden, like now Facebook knows what you like and what you don't like and what you're most likely to engage with and what you're not likely to engage with. And mm-hmm. over time, that is, that is building your mind. They're like, they are recreating the way you think just by tracking those movements alone. Mm-hmm. So like, it's, it's a, it's, it's a trip. It's a it's trip. It's a total trip. <laughs> Have you seen this? I think it's the social experiment. No, what's it called? Social dilemma. The social dilemma. You know, it's fantastic. It's the way that they told the story is so fantastic, and the way that they personified the algorithm so mm-hmm. interesting. And I, I think one of the biggest issues, though, like when we kind of go back to the brain, is how dopamine works and how we have these pleasure centers, these reward centers, the motivation centers, the things that motivate us. Mm -hmm. I think our cell phones are completely fucking with how we are motivated and the things that dopamine hits that we're going after. You know, one of the biggest things that I preach about is taking back your mornings and taking back your evenings. The Mm -hmm. first 30 to 45 minutes, not scrolling the last 30 to 45 minutes, not scrolling because, and, and, if it was so easy, then everyone would do it because they know that that blue light isn't good for us. It disrupts our sleep, like all these things. But we're addicted to it. That's why we yeah. wake up and on autopilot, we'll grab our phone. And I've been doing this practice for two years and still sometimes I'll wake up and I'll grab it. And then why, right when I go to do it, I realize what I'm doing and then I can catch myself and mm-hmm. be like, oh wait, put it back down. You know, you don't need this. And then there's also that stimulation of more, more, more. Our brain is not designed to have that high level of information processed for as long as it's processed. Because Mm -hmm. if we're scrolling all day, I mean, even the manifestation of reels and TikTok, high high amounts of large amounts of information being processed in a very short amount of time. Like right. our attention span has gone from like, you know, 10 minutes to one minute to now 30 seconds, 15 seconds, like when reels on Instagram first came out 15 seconds. Yeah. And so I think that it's important to like take back in a sense that willpower that we were talking about, whether it's a myth, whether it's real, but taking back our intention of how we're spending our time or else we're going to get, it sounds awful to say this way, or else we're going to get fucked by technology because we aren't going to be able to decide, am I doing this because I actually want to, or am I doing this because I've been influenced by something or someone? Oh man. I mean, I'll be honest. I have at times I had to like get, I had to delete all social from my phone. I did it for like six months. It was great. And then I kind of realized like, all right, well, I kind of need to be a part of the social because of the work that I do. Like it's actually, it's like an occupational hazard. And, but like, I wanted to get off of it because it was a reflex. Like I would pick up my phone for something and then my thumb would move towards the icon. Like it was just a muscle memory. To, I was like, this is, this is getting out of hand. And so like, I, I, that's whenever I decided like, I got to get rid of all of this stuff. And I did for a while. I still don't have Facebook. Like I, st- oh, I have a personal Facebook so that I can access the works Facebook, but I don't get mm-hmm. on my Facebook page. I'm far more of like a Twitter and uh, social and, um, Instagram user, which mm-hmm. is now, I mean, like now it's kind of done what it's intended. Like a lot of my friends are on there and 
this is how like we stay connected. But I want to go back to like the, the like the short like attention span part of things because it is against our nature to to move our our attention span to that acute of a of a time of a space because we were only able to be the species that we are and connect and evolve the way that we did because of stories. Like stories make way more sense in your mind than just random facts and figures. Like random statistics don't tell a story. Like you have to, you have to string them together in like a theme because your mind actually does it. It isn't a very good computer. Like your mind isn't very good. Like it, like I think you have like eight gigabytes, I think at most, of, of memory in your in your brain like it's not so it's i have a I have a memory card in my computer right now worth you know 80 times that so like we we so we do a lot better remembering facts and figures at if you put them in in sequence and they tell a story for you and uh this i think this is why i wasn't good at math like because i was like this, this doesn't make sense to me there's no theme like my brain isn't like going to remember this because it's out of context. It's all out of context. And, uh, and your brain is always missing things like you. So like, I don't know if you ever like did any psychological research. You probably have, uh, where, you know, you don't know what's in the bushes, but you think it's a lion. So it's a lion. It's like, it's probably not, it might be the wind, but in your head, you, you filled that gap with something. You don't know what it was. Fill it with something. So you can make up these stories in your in your head to make things make sense. Your brain does it automatically. This is why eyewitnesses are terrible for crime scenes. Like you never put a lot of weight into eyewitnesses because they don't remember anything. So, um, so when social media forces our attention span to be smaller and smaller and smaller, this is this goes against everything that our that our species has learned to do. I think it's a large, I think in large part, that's why we see ourselves so angry and like polarized. Like we are going against our nature in a very dangerous way. And like, it should be, it, it should be dramatically looked at. Like it should, it should be considered that we didn't, we, you know, the human species did not come up this way. Uh, and now we're making an about face. And I, I mean, I imagine for profit, I don't know, <laughs> but like, that's what we're doing. Well, it's addicting. Right. Because yeah. we, we go on social media f- it, while it's destructive to how we are processing in our nervous system, because it puts our body at like this peak state, you know, of like information, whether we realize it or not, like most of the time our heads down, our shoulders are clenched. Oh, yeah. And we're like, you know, uh, physically we can see the re- response of what's happening, but we go on social media to be entertained or to be educated. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think about like, if I were to look at it's funny because my mom and her husband are both like super addicted at TikToks. And, you know, I, I downloaded the app, but I never got into it. Um, mm-hmm. I never like went down the rabbit hole because I just heard it was so addicting. So I was like, I already am on Instagram a lot enough. I run an entire <laughs> business. And that's also what right. I want to like, I'm not bashing social I know. media I because know. I run my entire business off social media. So I would be yeah. very hypocritical, but that I feel like gives me even it places, even more of a responsibility on my end to talk about the responsibility we need to have with our boundaries. Because a lot of the self-love journey things that have been a part of my journey and the things that I teach that I advocate for is boundaries. And it's not just boundaries with people, it's boundaries with our technology. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But it's funny because if you were to look at my mom's TikTok, it's much more entertaining skits, people just laughing, like kind of this self-deprecating humor. But mm-hmm. then you look at uh, her husband's and it's like every single thing is like how to farm with a banana, how to like all these <laughs> random things around education. Yeah. So hers is much more entertainment based. His is much more education based. Um, and so, yes, it is very powerful, addicting, and it's mm-hmm. changing the way we process but there's positives there, right? Because it's yeah. giving us the community that we innately need, but it's still like, I don't know, like there's still certain things that I want to always be like, um, I guess I have to be responsible myself with how I use it in order to, with integrity, teach right. ways and talk about it, you know? And it's funny because on the weekends, I barely touch my phone. Like I, I will, Good. I love doing stories and I'll post the stories, but then I, cause stories for me is just like integrated in. Cause that whole thing with like writing, I love telling stories in a visual way, telling people what's going on in the day. Maybe if there's a thing that we're not sure if it's going to work out, like, right. There's a little bit of that. <laughs> and then, but you know, yeah. thing that you were talking about. <laughs> um, but what I've noticed is over the weekend, when I don't go into the DMs, I'm not scrolling. I'm taking photos and I'm posting and then I'm putting it away. My engagement will bump up so much every weekend because it's almost like Instagram is like, wait a minute, this is not normal usage. Yeah, I better yeah. I better give her some some extra cookies to try and see if she'll come back. <laughs> <laughs> so weird. It's true. It's true. I mean, it's like everything else because I don't. I mean, like we use social media all the time. Like it's a it's a major part of the of the company. And but I mean, it's like every other tool that humans make. Like it can be like you, you can have a wrecking ball to help you know help tear, tear down a house, you know, and to build a new one, or you can tear down a perfectly good building with people inside. I mean, humans have this very innate ability to create a double edged sword almost every time. And this is. Not not to get biblical, but we see this also in the Bible. I mean, the f- whole First Testament is like really angry, and then like yeah. the second, and then Brimstone the second, and, te- fire. and then the New Testament is all about you know love and acceptance. I mean, we choose to really focus. I mean, like as I'm not Christian, but Christians tend to really look at like the New Testament while also like cherry picking the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. But like, it's funny how you can split like this book that the most well read, the most widely read book on the planet to also be a double-edged sword mm-hmm. right and this is where we take a lot of our cues so you know I, i'm not surprised that we have this you know extremely connective social media internet fabric while that's also tearing us apart at the seams yeah so if you had a magic wand you know you could wave around like what would you want to see more for humanity based off of the fact that we aren't going to stop using social media you know? Right. Right. What do you and I don't think I mean? want to, I think that we, I think that we need, uh, well, one thing you brought up is better boundaries, but I think we need, you know, better leadership from in the family unit over how to use social media. I mean, it's a good tool, but like, you know, anything else, anything, you know, even moderation is moderation is key, you know, as they say. And I, what I'm worried about are, you know, parents who are on social media all day, every day, show modeling for their kids that this is where life is happening and then those kids grow up their entire lives doing the very same thing and that is startling where that leads is a very very dystopian earth 
So I would say, I would say more parental guidance. I love that because that's, I feel like everything has to start in the home. It does. Everything starts in the home. And then it's almost like the analogy of like, clean your space before you try and clean the community. Because if you are, you know, clean your space and then clean the house and then clean your yard and then clean the neighborhood, you know, but you can't skip the. It has to go that way. It has to go that way. Yeah, I know. That's good. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. Um, I'm curious, like with your writing, you know, something that I know for a lot, I love how this episode is just like, we're just covering it all. We're covering it all. But, you know, people that join and listen in on this podcast know that sometimes there's surprises. Joyfully, you podcast gets to go wherever we want it to go. And I it's think it's joyful. Talk, it's joyful. It is joyful to talk about these issues that are actually happening versus ignoring them and having the self-reflective moments of like, oh, yeah. is this getting in the way of the actual relationships in my life? Or is this strengthening them? You know, or so, but like with you and your writing. I'm mm-hmm. curious. The question that I hadn't asked yet is, do you experience writer's block? And if so, how do you approach it? That is a good question. The answer is, oh my God, hold on. Oh, damn it. Okay. Sorry. Um, I do every, every week, all the time. Uh, there is a blank page uh, syndrome that occurs at least, I mean, we, I do a lot of writing on Monday, but I write pretty much every day. And, uh, the thing that I do to try to get over it is I, I have to write something. If I put something on the page to get me started, that is a huge kick in the right direction. Now it never leads to just this, like, all right, figured it out. And I'm like, you know, just going off for like an hour on like a thousand word piece. Like, no, that, that never happens. Uh, and it shouldn't happen that way. You've done something wrong, like for certain. But I have this format that I use where, because I never know what the headline's going to be. And then there's also what's called a deck, which is an explanation of the headline. And then I'll have like, you know, my byline, like by Paul Myers. And then I have like, and then we put like our Twitter handle, uh, the company's Twitter handle, like underneath that. So like every Word document that I start that I'm going to have to write on starts with, in all, in all caps, headline, enter, deck, Enter, take cap locks off by Paul Myers at the Sun Gazette. And then, you know, where the story is happening, like Tulare or Porterville or Exeter or whatever. And then, and then, and now that I have something on there, I might sit back, lean back in my chair, look at the page and be like, well, where do I want to start? Like, there is a lot going on in this story. What is the, what is the first piece that I want people to know? And that differs. I mean, honestly, it depends on what kind of writing you're doing. In journalism, we use the inverted pyramid. So you tell the end first, and then you go down, and then you go to the, so the most relevant, most newsy information to the least newsy information. So that way, if people only read the first half of the article, they got most of what they need. Um, so, you know, that, I mean, if you think about like the ending, the ending is the best part of every story, right? So you kind of have to work your way into this, like, what is the best, what do I think is the best part of this story? And it isn't, and you really have to ask that question to yourself, not what does somebody else think is the best, is the best part of the story? What do I think is the best part of the story? 
And that is very, very helpful. And I'll be honest, if you're like a new writer and you're trying to think, and you're trying to think of that, um, whatever you think is the best part of the story, you're probably wrong. Like, because you don't have a, you don't have a lot of experience and this is why you always keep your old writing. This is why you always keep it. So whenever you go back, you're like, oh yeah, that was dumb. And like, it's okay to say that because like, now, you know, better, you know, better, you do better. And, but all, but that, that is the most important thing is that you find what you think is the most important way to tell this story. And that will change over time with the more experience you have and the more people that you're around and the more expertise that you're around because it's ultimately judgment. What is your judgment on this? So like whenever we have new reporters, I'm like, I don't, I, I just, I don't even tell them how long to write their stories. I'm like write it till it's done. Cause I want to know what you think done means. Like, like, well, how should, I mean, I may give some like, tips over like, oh, I would structure it this way or that way. And those are all very helpful questions. But like, I want to give these people as much free range as I can. Cause I want to know them. I don't want them to just reflect what I give them like that. I know what I want. Like, I want to know what you want. And that is, you know, it, put yourself in the, put yourself in the writing. Like you don't have to, and that doesn't mean bias. It just means like, what do you think? And write that way and then grow. That's, mm-hmm. those are the three things. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah. And there's a certain level of confidence you have to have in order to say what I think matters. So I'm going to lead with that. But I love how you said when you reflect back to the old writing, you're like, oh, that's kind of dumb. You know, because (laughs) I have a mentor that she always says, she's like, if you don't look at your early work and there isn't a part of you that's embarrassed, then you didn't go all out. And it's, it can, it's so true. Right. Cause I look at some of my earlier, cause for me, I do like micro blogging kind of a thing. You know, Instagram Mm -hmm. is kind of like micro blogging all the posts. There's some type of, you know, hook plot, you know, finished thing. Um, But I think for some people that can be over analytical, they're like, oh my God, I know that looking back is going to be dumb. So does that mean I'm in the dumb stage? Should I just not, (laughs) you know, like people that they will judge themselves before they start. Um, Do you ever experience that yourself or with writers at the Sun Gazette? You know, so like, writing is just like the expression. Like, I want to know what you think, like what you think may not be what you write. And like, I have written pieces that I, like, I I just couldn't say what I wanted to say. Like, I just, I didn't know how to like express it. And so like, I always try to remember that. And you know what? That hasn't really changed. Like I almost always feel that I'm in the dumb stage. Like almost always. Because, you know, because I always feel like I'm learning, I'm trying to learn the next thing. And so like that next thing, I'm not going to be very good at whenever I start. And once I feel like, okay, I'm really good at this. That's whenever I know I'm heading in the wrong direction. I'm like, okay, I, I know that I can do, I know that I can do these things, but I don't really care about those things. I want to do the next thing. I want to learn the next piece. I want to challenge myself in a different way. And I want to be bad at it at first, because if I'm good at it, then I'm not doing it right again. Like, I, I don't need to do the things that I'm good at. I need to do the things I'm not good at. And, <laughs> and that's like, and so like, <laughs> this loosely like ties in, but it's like with people who I know that I really want to like spend time with. And uh, I said this like to a few friends because somebody said it to me and they said, you know, this, it was this woman, I, I, I won't say her name, 
but she said, uh, she's like, you know, like I'm like a really smart person. And the first thing I thought was really smart people don't say that. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> then it's like, okay, we just have a little sprinkle of narcissistic behavior in there. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just like, you can't, you can't tell me what really smart sounds like or is like, it's just, you know, that's, that's a dumb thing to say. <laughs> and so like, I try to stay out of like the moments that are akin to the, like, I'm a really smart person. Like, I don't want to hear that. I would never say that. Like, there isn't a reason to say that because really smart people, they are too busy trying to learn something new and maybe not even learn something new, but just change up their Exercising their knowledge. (laughs) Yeah. Where like you, you wouldn't even think to say that. Mm-hmm. And so like, I, those are, those are like telltale signs of, of that. You're like doing it wrong. If you ever have the urge mm-hmm. to say like, Hey, I'm really smart. Like, listen, you very well may be, but like, it really shouldn't come. Like it shouldn't be top of mind for yeah. you to say that. What is it that you're trying to gain by expressing it? Cause I'm all about affirmations. And I think that's yeah. a separate thing when it's like me, myself and I, and the only times that I'll use affirmations around like I am intelligent is when I'm not feeling intelligent, right? Yeah, it's like yeah. the part of yes, my mind has yes. to remind me that it's like the 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 duality, the like yin and yang of like, I don't think I'm smart. And then there's that part of me that's like the higher self that's like, yes, you are. But it's yeah. such an internal thing. Yes. Yes. It is a it's a little fishy when it's being yeah. externally expressed. <laughs> <laughs> It's true. I like you, that should be something. Cause like I used to think that if I did good things, I was good. If I did smart things, I was smart. And that's not true. Like you can do, you can do smart things all the time and be very, very dumb. Like, and then there are like, there are people who are just not necessarily like intellectually blessed that I see them when they're like at work and they're like a savant. Like I couldn't do the things that they do. Like, it also depends on the context that you're in. Uh, So, like, I don't think that anybody is, like, smart or dumb. I mean, although I may, I am guilty of using those expressions a lot. But, like, I I do recognize, like, if you put me into, you know, if you put me into, like, a science lab and said, like, you're smart, figure it out. Like, I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't do well. (laughs) Like, I'm not a scientist. I don't work on this. Like, people are... There are yeah, it's are so objective. Yeah, subjective. So, sub, it's a, it's subjective. Yes, mm-hmm. subjective. Where it's just like, in co- what context does that mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, I like that. I like the that feedback that you gave around writing is that you sit down, you have some type of routine of knowing mm-hmm. this is what starts, and then you get to look at it and just start right. Where yeah. versus it needing to be perfect, needing it to be a certain way. It's like as long as you start it, then the, yeah. it's almost like I've imagined this analogy of like a car being at the top of the hill, and the first push is the hardest, but then it yeah. builds momentum. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and it's also discipline. Like, that's the other thing I don't think I really, like, touched on. It is, like, it's discipline and structure whenever you need to get over, like, a, a writing block. It's, like, it, it, it's like anything else. Like, you, you don't like to work out. You don't like to eat well. But if you get enough momentum going that it just becomes, like, a routine, you can get over writing block. It, it's easy. It's not going to be the best thing you've ever written if you don't feel it. 
if you're not feeling it that day, but you can do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. and sometimes going through the motions is the best thing to do. I, I don't, I don't necessarily tell people to do that, but like, yeah, there are I think some it days. Is. I agree. I agree with that though. Cause there's times like even with podcasting, you know, I've been on a stretch where it's three to four episodes a week and mm-hmm. And there's times where I'm like, I don't want to, <laughs> but then I sit down and I'm like, but why am I, I do doing it? it? I have to connect to the why. And I just think about like the women and it's primarily women listeners. There's some men too, but I think about the person listening. And then I, it's like this moment of trust because I know that I will, my confidence will be like lifted and mm-hmm. carrying me through for the rest of the week. If I show up for it, even if I'm, even yeah. if, even if at the end of the episode, I'm like, I don't think this was very good, but <laughs> I'm going to press publish anyways, because I'm committed to it. Yep. That The confidence is there because if I worry about every episode being great, I probably would never podcast. <laughs> that is, it's a hundred percent true with writing too. I mean, like there is like every issue that we publish, like there is a handful of stories where I'm just like, that sucked. That wasn't good. Like, and then the, the part that I have to find a way to get over Cause like some people are actually very kind. They're very generous. Yeah, with their with their uh, um, with their gratitude towards like the paper, and they say just like, "Hey, this was like a really good issue. I really liked that article." And I'd be like, "Yeah, that article sucked, but all right." Like that's kind of like the like that's the feeling I have because I'm just like you know they don't see the flaws that I see. Well, and it goes to show that like there's no <laughs> one that's more critical of our work than us, and like yes, and we come full circle to the self love journey of not being so goddamn <laughs> critical. <laughs> <laughs> it's true it's true and i feel and like and then and i've done this so many times where i'm just like oh yeah it was okay like it could have been better and then they they look deflated and i'm just like oh i didn't help you at all like i feel like it just <laughs> that's when you get to receive the compliment and being like <laughs> yeah. thank you <laughs> thank you because they're like trying to give to you <laughs> yeah and then and then you learn people just stop giving you compliments whenever you behave that way so yeah. Like, and then it almost, and then it almost validates that feeling and expression that you had around it not being good because it's like yes. the ego's like, see, I told you no one's even yeah. complimenting anymore. Yeah. See, it's true. It's true. <laughs> oh man. Well, are we I'm over so time? I, I mean, like you didn't We're, give me like a time limit. I've just been like jabbering on and on. Oh, it's all good. It, most okay. interviews are around an hour. And so we are coming up to the end of the interview now. Um, okay. Is there anything else that you'd like to share uh, with the people listening? You know, any last words? I mean, I would really love to like, I mean, I don't know how many writers you have that are listeners, but I would like love to hear like what their process is and like what and the stuff like they're working on. Mm-hmm. Because like, Stories are important. Stories are the reason why we are like the species we are today. We're the only species that writes things down. Like, I mean, think about that. We're the only species that puts things down for other generations to. Could you imagine having like having to like reinvent the wheel, like quite literally every generation? Like we would never get anywhere. So like, I'm always fascinated by what types of like stories people are working on, what type of like research they're working on. So, uh, you know, if you wouldn't mind just like dropping in, you know, some, some contact information where they can reach me, that'd be great. Oh, Pro- yeah. Email, not my phone. Like I have enough people calling me. <laughs> Text <laughs> call yeah, here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Guys, in the show notes, there will be information um, for you to access the Sun Gazette. And also I will put your email in there that if there's Thank aspiring you. writers, if there are current writers, um, 
thank you for also giving them permission that it's okay for them to send you an email and kind of share what their process has been or even share maybe some of their blocks and what your opinion would be on that. Yeah. Or anybody interested in journalism. I mean, local journalism, I mean, we didn't even get into local journalism, but that's a, that's a huge passion. And one of the most important things that our society is lacking right now. I'm not just saying that because I stand to benefit from that. I'm saying it because it's true. Mm, yeah. Local. Maybe next time. Yeah. I was going to say that sounds like a continued <laughs> conversation. Um, so, so you guys listening to this right now, Paul wouldn't be sharing that if he didn't mean it. And so if you are listening to this and you are kind of finding your path and you're interested in writing or journalism, and that's something that you have a passion for, reach out to him. This is a free resource that you can be able to connect with. And especially if you're from the Central Valley, this is someone from your same hometown. If you're somewhere in another country, that's even, that's even cooler, right? You know, yeah, in the sense it would be. that, you it know, getting an email, there's actually a lot of people from, um, there's like 47 countries that listen to Joyfully You podcast. So you never know who would be reaching out. And so, so if you're listening to this, you have permission. So you don't have to start the email with sorry to bother you. Okay. So you have permission <laughs> to be able to reach out. Um, and Paul, thank you so much for joining Joyfully You podcast and kind of sharing, sharing your process, sharing, you know, your come from of how it started and just for, for geeking out together <laughs> on like stuff around society and technology and how the brain works. Like, I love this stuff. This is, this is the stuff that like makes, that makes like my heart jump. Like I was really tired. I did not sleep well last night. Like I did not sleep well at all. I still woke up early and I was just like, I, I don't know if I can bring the energy, but we started talking about that type of like geeky stuff and like all of a sudden I'm awake. Oh, that's cool. That's when you know you're doing your soul's purpose when it energizes you and you're done with it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of Joyfully You Podcast. Thank you, Paul Myers, for being with us today. And we will see you on the next episode.